Greetings, cultivators around the world. Jordan River here, back at you with more Growcast. Aloha and mahalo. Today we have 808 Genetics on the line, all the way from Hawaii. I've been waiting to get this breeder on. I know you guys love breeder features. This episode is a banger. It's full of rich history and strain info and breeding philosophy and much more. I absolutely know that you're going to love today's episode. Before we get into it, though, shout out to today's sponsor, AC Infinity, the best grow gear in the game. Code GROWCAST15 saves you 15% at acinfinity.com. They've got the thick, sturdy tents with the thick canvas and the thick tent poles, the best tents in the game. They've got the fans that you need, the inline fans, the cloud ray oscillating fans now. Again, code GROWCAST15 for 15% off the best quality grow gear you can find. They've also got lights and scissors and pots and hangers and so much more. But when it comes to the fans and the tents, there's no one else out there that does it better. The inline fans, the Cloud Line series are fantastic. The S series is the simple series. Still comes with a 10 speed fan controller. And the T series comes with a controller that lets you automatically dial in your temperature and humidity. acinfinity.com code GROWCAST15 for 15% off. They even have grow kits that come with everything you need to expand. Get that second veg tent, get that second flower tent you've been thinking about. Save with the kit and use code GROWCAST15, which now works on those kits. Saving you extra money with the best gear in the game, acinfinity.com. They've been our partners for years. We brought these guys along a long time ago. They've really, really expanded and done a great job. acinfinity.com, code GROWCAST15. All right, let's get into it with 808JB. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, podcast listeners. You are now listening to Growcast. I'm your host, Jordan River, and I want to thank you for tuning in again today. Before we get started, as always, I urge you to share the show. Tell a smoker to start growing, get someone growing, turn them on to Growcast. You can find us on Spotify and all the podcast apps and see what we're doing at growcastpodcast.com slash action. There you'll see the membership and the seeds and the classes and all the fun stuff that we do. Today, we have a bit of a breeder feature. You guys know we like to talk to breeders prolific breeders in the cannabis space, see what makes them tick, see what their uh, guiding principles are as they select in their garden to make new cultivars for the future, future growers like you. And today we've got an awesome guest. I've been meaning to have this fellow on for a long time. We've been talking a lot and we finally nailed down a time for an interview. We got 808 Genetics. We have JB himself. What's up, JB? How's it going, man? Not much, Jordan. Just chilling. We got some circus cookies I'm smoking on right now. You know, just excited for what the future holds with a bunch of these new crosses we've been putting out in the world. Oh man, I am excited. I'm a fan of 808 Genetics. You guys, you guys have heard about 808 on this show before. You guys have been making some awesome strains out there in Hawaii for a long time, man. You guys put out a lot of heat. Uh, you're very, very busy. And yeah, we're going to talk about that circus cookies and, and the top five strains and some of your older work. I'm excited to dig into it, man. But maybe for some brand new growers, brand new to the show, can you give a little bit of background on yourself? What brought you into cannabis? What brought you into breeding? And how far your roots go back in the Hawaiian cannabis scene? Oh, for sure, man. So my dad, he was originally from Cali, but he moved out here to Kauai in the 70s. And so he was kind of out here laying the roots, you know, building the foundation, getting the new strains, the old strains collected because like in Cali at the point, that point when he, before he moved to Hawaii, just to preface this, he said all the best weed in the sixties came from Hawaii. Right. So that was why he really wanted to move out to Hawaii 
beyond just the surf, right? So <laughs> he got out here in the 70s. I was not born until the early 80s. Me personally, I started growing in the late 90s. If I was to have to nail down a year, I'm going to say like 96, 97. Jeez, dude, as a teen? Yeah. So like weed in Hawaii is kind of just, it's not, people don't look at it as like a drug. You know, it was always a medicine, even with in the 90s, like with the full illegality of it. It was very common for teenagers, middle schoolers to be growing and consuming cannabis in Hawaii. You know, that was just kind of the culture. I think it has to do with the surfing and all that as well. But basically, I didn't start breeding until the early 2000s. And it was just more just messing around, you know. And so that's kind of the beginning of things for me. So I was growing 96, 97, making some strains in the early 2000s. It wasn't until later in the 2000s when I actually had suffered a bunch of dirt bike injuries as I was trying to take it to the professional level. And I found myself on basically a pharmaceutical cocktail from the doctors and figured out, you know, oh, these specific indica cultivators really helped me. But if I wasn't growing it myself, it wasn't a reliable medicine, meaning like I couldn't always get the same strain. Wow. So that was kind of what set me on my mission to start collecting strains, right? And so I started collecting strains. My dad had already been collecting strains. And basically, he had collected things that he had bred and collected things throughout Hawaii. He's known for helping with the Kauai Electric Project. He's known for helping with the um, Hawaiian dog. His claim to fame was the widow. He did the Aloha White Widow Cross. He also made the Crippy, which is lesser known just because it doesn't produce a lot. It was more, Crippy was more of a head stash ring. And it was called Crippy because it crippled you. It just had a devastating like sleeper effect where you'd smoke it, think you're fine. And 10, 20 minutes later, it just pulled <laughs> like a cheap <laughs> shit. And you're, you're over there just like, man, what the hell did we just smoke? And that's happened to a lot of big growers. You know, Gavin, shout out to Gavin at Gold Leaf. They got a bunch of 808 genetics growing up there in Washington. Organic farmers, good product. Check them out. The first time me and him met up at Honolulu Beach, I burnt them out to some crippy. It was bloomed 13 weeks. And he literally wanted me to sit in the car with him for a good while. And this is the head cultivator of <laughs> an award-winning facility, right? So he's like tripping. He was like, dude, what was that? I'm like, that was trippy. You know, wow. and so that was the first day. I mean, he was a Kauai boy as well, but we and him, me and him didn't meet up until like, I don't know when that was, maybe 2016, 15. But back into the roots of where we came from. Sorry for getting a little sidetracked. No, no, it's perfect. My dad had a collection of genetics, including Hawaiian hash plant, blueberry sativa, frankenberries, of course, the widow, the crippy. We had the elephant. That's a really old school strain out of Africa originally that came to Hawaii. We had the Hawaiian duck foot. The Hawaiian duck foot, to be specific, was not the pink hair version. It was the white hair. Oh, we just talked about the Duckfoot on the last Hawaiian episode. That's awesome. Yeah, so Duckfoot's been out here for a long ass time. But <laughs> the pink hair was the non-Sony version. The white hair was the Sony version. Whoa. So those who know know. That is very interesting. The Hawaiian Duckfoot. But my dad ended up passing away in 2007. And it actually gave me more compassion for the plant than I already had. Because I watched how like he needed an organ transplant. And he couldn't be on the list. 
if he was consuming cannabis, even with a medical card in the state That's of Hawaii. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's so, so sad, dude. So I watched him basically just wither before me without the cannabis to help him through the whole treatment process. And he ended up passing away later that year, July 14th, 2007. And that changed everything for me. That was the day where I was like, everybody needs to have access to these strains. It can't just be like some old timers have these strains and they just get lost because they pass away and nobody's breeding with right. them. Right. Right. That's incredible. So that, that was that was the start of my like, okay, I didn't really know how I was going to do it. But like, I knew in my heart, I had to do something to change the world, like for the better with seeds. That's incredible, man. Wow. I didn't know that it, it had so much deep rooted meaning in both your family history and then also the medical side. Like it really does appear like you're, you're heavily focused on the medical side, which makes sense taking a look at a lot of the stuff you breed for. Yeah. We have like a very deep, like my dad was a basically, I wouldn't say he's a first generation grower in Hawaii because there was already people growing out here in Hawaii, but he was some of the pioneer. He helped pioneer a lot of the techniques, including teaching people how to clone out here on the island of Kauai. So it's like a lot of people don't know that like Taylor Camp, I don't know if you're familiar with Taylor Camp, but it was originally the first like pot friendly place or cannabis friendly place in the entire United States, obviously. Being out on the island of Kauai, it's very remote. But there are actually some smugglers who used to come back through the day and they were providing a lot of the cannabis at that point. If you read the book, Tie Sticks, are you familiar with that book? Uh, Well, I heard that story, right? About the smugglers and and seafarers bringing a lot of the cannabis. Yes. So my dad happened to meet a bunch of these guys and they came down to Taylor Camp and the stories are true. The book that they wrote, I don't know how accurate it is to the T because I wasn't alive at that point. But there is definitely like the airplanes that have the pontoons to land in the ocean definitely pulled up right there. Man. And that's where like the duck, that's where the duck foot came from. Because that's an Australia strain, buddy. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. With those, with those weird relief varieties, you know, you're literally echoing. We just had a guest on, um, Molokai Kevin, and he was talking about growing on Molokai. And, and he was, he's really echoing what you're saying about people bringing, you know, some of that clone technology from Northern California to Hawaii. It's trippy how, how much these stories are coinciding. The Hawaiian history is incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, you have a lot of people from California that brought styles to Hawaii. You got a lot of people from Hawaii that maybe were originally in California, right? Develop their herbal skills out here in Hawaii, because you have to understand there wasn't green harvest back in the day. So it was like the wild, wild west, except for instead of with a limited growth cycle, like you would have in, let's say a California, we got year round. You lucky bastard. You're just, you're just (laughs) sending it. So it's like, you can develop genetics with seeds faster than you can at a lower cost than you could anywhere else in the world, unless they're in the same equatorial type of pattern. That's a good point. That's a really good point, man. So like I said, I have a lot to say, but I know you're limited to the time slot. So I'm trying to keep on what you want to talk about. Dude, you are killing it. And by the way, we do return appearances. So please just continue with whatever you feel appropriate. Okay. Um, as far as like, if you want some history about the Hawaiian cannabis scene, you know, like the best weed was always coming out of Kauai since the 60s. My dad, like I said, he moved from California to Oahu's North Shore, tracking the bud, got up there, you know, 
the uncles up there. You had the Eddie Rothmans of the world. You had the, what's his name? Titus, Pihini Makas. You know, those are kind of the, they're younger at the point of my dad showing up. They're like the young bucks, but they're like the old dogs at this point. But they kind of set the tone is the best way to put it. And my dad paid close attention. And the best herb they had was coming out of Kauai. And it was coming over by boat or by plane. And my dad seen the scene. And that's when he made the call where he was going to move to Kauai. That is he basically killer. tracked it down all the way down to Taylor camp. You know what I mean? And you can still talk to uncles over here to this day. And they'll tell you guys are selling ounces back then for $10 an ounce. You'd go to Kalapaki, which is on the opposite side of the island. And hippie dudes that lived out over there in um, Kalalau Valley and at Taylor camp. They just were growing weed on the wide. It was, you know, that was, they were the, basically the first people to really cultivate it just kind of in the open. You know, you had Hawaiian families growing it, but it wasn't like so prolifically. We mainly kind of had at that point from what my dad said, just like some African sativas that really took a while to finish. So it wasn't, you know, a quick turnaround. And then those dudes that were smuggling cannabis, which that book about their journeys, is, I believe on you can buy it pretty much from any bookstore. I believe it's called Five Sticks. Those were the dudes that originally plugged them in the Afghanis. My dad did happen to bring back some Pakistani seeds, some Highland Thai seeds, but those were like he actually had to serve in Nam. So he collected those from, I guess, Overseas. whatever they were doing over there. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, man. Well, he was, yeah, he, was, sense. he was in jail and they let him out of jail to fight. Right. And then once the thing was over, it was like he was released. Wow, man. And that makes sense geographically. A lot of that. I didn't know about the duck foot coming from Australia. That yeah. also makes sense. Well, Wally duck is a lot of what the, a lot of the older guys talk about. But, you know, that duck foot was basically the first true indica we had out here before besides hash plant. So, you know, it's kind of like groundbreaking as far as genetics in Hawaii, because it wasn't going to get 15 foot tall and take 13 weeks <laughs> right. to finish. Exactly. I know what you so, mean. L listen, man, this is, this. I can tell this is going to be an incredible interview. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Um, yeah, you talked I, about the history. I'm sorry, I was just and you, trying. No, dude, don't apologize. This is fucking awesome. This is doing, this is going great. So what I'd like to get to, because you've talked about your history and you've talked about also some of your, your general guiding values and principles. When you talk about, you know, these old school strains that you've collected and second generation strains that you've held onto and you've launched this, this seed program with it and now you're a breeder, right? What are some of those older strains that you feel really like represent you and your work and what you're trying to do? A strain that you're still proud of today? Honestly, that's a very, very tough question because we've made so many strains to this date that things that I wasn't even, let's say, going to be like putting on the radar to begin with ended up becoming favorites of mine. But I mean, it really all goes back to combining the Crippy with the Kauai Electric line. Ooh. That that was like the original, like what started it all. So like the Holly Girl Backcross, the Kauai Mints, even our Cherry um, line all came from that. So we have a lot of other Things out there, though, that people really know, like the Durberger, the Black Truffle, um, the Sherbin Runs, it's really getting attention nowadays, the peanut butter jelly. Because, but, you know, those, those are some of the older crosses. If I had to, like, narrow it down to, like, a handful of things, like, I would like to throw sugar tits in there, but that was made last year, so I can't really consider that an older cross. 
Nice. Yeah, that seemed to be a big hit too. The Crippy sounds legendary, and the Crippy Kawhi Electric that is that is a you know r- history rich strain. Well, it was a must. It was a must make because to me, it was the two strains that really represented Kauai because each island is kind of known for their varieties. You got Molokai's, got the Molokai Frost. Oahu didn't really have a strain because everything was kind of imported there. Big Island, you know, you had the Kona Gold, the Punabadas, um, right. the Dirt Widows. Maui was kind of known for like the Maui Dog, the Pog, the Diesel, the Maui Diesel. You know, so Kauai it was basically Kauai Electric and Crippy because everyone pretty much had Duckfoot. It was just different variants of it. So like all the islands had Duckfoot. Whoa. And you know, what's funny is from the mainland, we hear about the Maui Waui, right? But I, I don't know. I think the good shit that you guys were holding back there, it was the Kauai Electric. I never heard about that from the mainland until I like, you know, got there and started doing this show and stuff. It's funny. Yeah. Kauai Electric was kind of the benchmark strain. And so like my father-in-law grew up or didn't grow up in Maui, but he was in Maui in the seventies, I believe. And so the um, Maui Waui from, according to my father-in-law, who's still alive to this day, and what my dad told me and all the people I know from Maui, it was kind of just a general slang term for some good Hawaiian herb. Oh, wow. So it wasn't like a specific strain per se, as it was just either some, yeah, it was either some Molokai Frost or some Kauai Electric that happened to make it over there. Because most of the people on Maui, they pretty much were all about the Maui dog, which is like a, a licorice gas type of variety. Oof. And then, so that was kind of really popular. Then they had the HP 13, which is stuff of legendaries that that like still like it's out there. And then they had like the diesels, you know, and the diesels were more present in the mid to late nineties. But um, interesting fact about Maui is they had a lot of diesel before anywhere else really in the world and even in the canna bible if you look jason king had pictures of the original new york sour diesel being grown on maui in the late 90s interesting the and that just shows you that just shows you yeah that just shows you how okay, i know more about how the diesel got there and let's just say it has to do with the dude my dad's partner and his name is ray jones that's not his real name that's his <laughs> pseudonym code name yeah yeah you can just call him Jonesy. So Jonesy, he basically brought that to Maui, like the diesel varieties. Man, I love that old school. So I can't, from I can't prove that like he brought it to New York either. But I mean, dude, like the original Kauai Electric has roots back to the original Roadkill Skunk. And Jonesy himself said he sold that cut to the dudes in Cali back in the 80s as Roadkill Skunk. Like he took the Kauai Electric from out here and let's just say shit went south for what he was doing, trying to build a house and he needed some money. Wow. It got sold over there. There's so much hype about the roadkill skunk. I mean, it's died down a little bit, but it was like the topic du jour for a second. What else went into the Kauai Electric? What do you know about that? I'd love to explore the history of some of these strains. Well, Jonesy, he's what we call a hermit. He doesn't talk about his stuff, but... He's a notorious cannabis farmer for a long time. He's grown some of the best herb that's ever been produced in the state of Hawaii. And I just know that he got strains from my dad. I know that when they were making the Crippy, the Crippy and the Kauai Electric were basically like side. They're they're similar genetics made in the same fashion, but basically 
they differed in one of the one had i think the crippy had one more thing in it so they're they're, they're very similar related right yes, and the roadkill related. skunk was in there when yes. I talk to people about these Hawaiian strains, it's always like that, man. It's like, oh, you know, my uncle wouldn't tell me or, you know, what's driving me nuts is um, asking about the Molokai frost. People just call it Molokai strain. They're like, yeah, that's Molokai strain. Like, what do you mean Molokai strain? Do you know anything about the Molokai frost? What I know about the Molokai frost is this guy named Josh from Hawaii. He has an uncle who lives over there and Josh is the one who actually named it the Molokai frost. So if anyone knew what the pure genetics of that war would be. You can find them on Instagram, I believe, uh, Kauai Kind 420. So it's K-A-U-A-I-K-I-N-E 420. I am on the hunt because that is a legendary strain, man. I've heard so many different stories. It's just really interesting how how much legend goes into these goes into these strains and then you carries on into your work. That's fucking killer, man. Really, really killer. Yeah. So I mean Hawaii has a deep culture of cannabis. The thing is with how illegal things were back when a lot of these guys were in, like basically pioneering the industry out here, they wouldn't want to disclose like their secrets to how they made specific things. Yes. You know, I do know that there's Afghani. I do know that there's Highland Thai in the crypto. That makes sense when you describe the effects. That makes a lot of sense. Right. So with the skunk, going back to the Kauai Electric, like I said, Jonesy. He's a secretive guy. He won't disclose everything that he used. You know, he was just my dad's partner. So like they would make strains together. But when they were making strains together, like Jonesy wasn't so open to like explaining what he was using to make his stuff. Right, right. They would just like share a male's pollen, let's say, and be like, oh, look, this is a badass male. Let's use it together on different things. So a lot of the lineage gets muddled. And you know what? I'm fine with that. This is an easy plant to breed. I like seeing uh, a lot of different polyhybrids, the more variety. I mean, I feel like we're past a certain point of no return. And like you said, now it's about getting these genetics out there. That's the most important thing into the hands of patients. Yeah. Well, well, like Nod's hash plant is a famous Hawaii strain that doesn't really ever get much credit on any of these shows. And Nod developed that hash plant and it was an amazing strain. But it just took one mistake and then he ruined the line forever. And that's when he put some Mexican brick seed into it. I don't know why he did it. I wasn't friends with him or anything. I just, that's the story. And that's how it was told. And then the line was forever, forever lost, basically. I hadn't heard of that Nod's hash plant. Yeah, they called it the Nod pod. The Nod pod. It was just okay. big pods, big, big calyx, you know, hash plant. Strain. Damn. Wow, man. Yeah, so that, that was back in the, that was real popular in the 80s and the 90s. And then sometime in the 90s, it put some Mexican brick in there. No, and that was, and it was it. the that was it. It's a death sentence. We'll be right back to the interview. But before that, Photon Tech Lighting, everybody. High quality, efficient, powerful magnetic LED style grow lights. My favorite grow lights on the market. Growcastpodcast.com slash photon brings you right there. Code Growcast saves you 10% on your photon tech lighting. You can grab yourself an X465 watt, perfect for a 4x4. You can grab their 600 watt for a 5x5, their 1000 watt CO2, and now you can pre-order their 1000 watt Pro LED. This is the biggest, baddest light that Photon Tech has to offer. 
You're not even gonna wanna run this thing unless you supplement your CO2 levels or dial it down. It's that powerful. Extremely high PPF output, 2,925 U-moles per second, and an incredible efficiency of 2.9 U-moles per joule. You can't beat the Photon Tech lights. They're water resistant, they're durable, they're magnetic bars, so they're easy to take apart and move. If one breaks, you don't have to send back the whole light. You just pop off that bar and you go ahead and get it replaced, but it's not gonna break because the components are incredible and they're quality. And on the rare chance that it does, they've got an incredible warranty. Photon Tech is what I grow with. My 600 watt is ripping right now. That thing is absolutely killer. It puts out 1,620 U-moles per second and my plants absolutely love it, folks. They're looking beautiful. Growcastpodcast.com slash photon. Use code GROWCAST. And grab yourself the sexiest light in red that you can ever find. All right, everyone, let's get back to it. So now you're carrying this legacy on and, and you have 808 genetics. I am excited to talk about this, uh, this stuff that you're working on now, man. What's driving your selections right now before we get into the GMO and in the top five strains of this year and all that, what is really exciting you right now? And what is your guiding principle for your, your current selections? So, I mean, to me, to just start it off at the beginning, the most important thing about breeding is going through the process and doing your due diligence to stress test all of the genetics before ever breeding with them. And that's where we created the three to four foot solo cup challenge. And it's essentially you want to grow this seed in a solo cup with very little top dress or nutrient input till the seedling is three to four foot tall, like an actual full grown plant, essentially. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that it doesn't auto flower. It doesn't show any type of issues. If it, if it locks up, let's say at three foot and you transplant it, does it over, does it bounce out of that quickly? You also want to test it overwatering and underwatering it in that solo cup. So before we ever consider using anything from any type of F1, any type of backcross, it goes through that solo cup challenge, right? And then at that point, we're going to go to a three gallon and we're going to give it what we call the bounce back test. And it's going to obviously get some new soil and all that and a nice little feed. And from there, if it does what we want with the bounce back test, it's going to go into the pheno hunting room. And typically our pheno hunting room is going to be a greenhouse outside in Hawaii that we can use 12 months out of the year. So we're very blessed and we are really proud of being able to offer true Hawaiian strains that have been bred with what we consider the best strains out of the United States. Yeah, man, I see that. I see that uh, insane trichome coverage on some of these, uh, some of these strains you've put out. Uh, our very own Rizo Rich being attracted to the doo-doo butt, the GMO back cross cross that you made. Yep. Uh, man, that's that is, a special plant. That's a stinky, that's a stinky strain right there, man. It's dominant like, too. It's it's dominant in a lot of its traits. Yes. And so another thing about breeding in Hawaii is we're using the full spectrum of the sun. This allows for what is called epigenetics. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but epigenetics will express themselves when given the correct environment with all the basically proper inputs, meaning like all the, you know, IMO organic inputs, just full health to the plant, those epigenetics will express. And then from there, that makes the pheno selection process a lot easier because I feel like, let's say you're doing your pheno hunting in a indoor room. It's real easy to have Instagram photo worthy plants, but what do the terps say? 
Right. You know what I mean? Whereas in a greenhouse, you're getting the elements, like even if you got a roof on there, some side rains and they get it, you know, it's an actual real test, I feel. And it gives us the ability to make sure what we're working with is special. So like our cherry line is exactly that. It's deep cherries. It doesn't matter if the mother is cherry pie or if the mother is Cushman's. It's like the father being at this point, I believe a cherry pie BX3 we worked those lines through. It's like just cherry pie through and through. And same thing, like a lot of people will be worried about intersex traits coming from the pie. But what they don't understand is like, let's say I've been growing this cherry pie cut in my garden now for 15 years or so, maybe more. There has never been an intersex issue with the cut since I've had it once converting it to organic methods and a true 18.6 light cycle. So I feel like it's not talked about, but like if people keep cuts, let's say under 24 hours of light or 20 hours of light or 22 hours of light, something not natural, over time, that plant's going to degrade. Those genetics are going to degrade and you can pass on auto flowering traits. You can pass on herm traits just from the original mother plant itself being stressed over time. That is interesting, man. I got a question about the back crossing work that you do. Is there a reason that it seems like you do a lot of it? Is that your preferred way to stabilize and like homogenize a trait as opposed to doing like an inbred line or something like that? You do a couple of back crosses. And I mean, in our experience, it's come out pretty straight and stable. So a lot of people weren't making back crosses. We got onto the scene and, and I had studied at a community college over here about botany, biology, all that stuff. And I talked to other people that breed, let's say chickens, cannabis, just trying to get as broad of an understanding for breeding in general as I can. And I believe that back crossing would create the most, it would lock down the specific traits you were trying to express within the line as quickly as possible. Faster, right. And yeah. And so we basically work heavily on making back crosses because from what I've been told, when you make, let's say, a BX4, right? So we have a cherry pie BX4. It's called cherry roll-ups. We have some in stock now, but it probably won't last long. That, for example, if you're doing botany in any other specific field, you're now the godfather of that. We have the first cookies back cross for, we, we've got, we're like BX7 at this point. We have the first GMO BX4. We have the first cherry pie BX4. We have you know, I don't want to go into the how many BX4s we have, but once you take it to a BX4, like we're just about to get the runts into a BX4, even though we didn't breed runts by the fact that we went and we locked down that specific trait into a BX4 line, we're now the godfather of that strain and no one can take that away from us. Well, just for maybe the listeners who maybe they just got into growing or they just started listening to shows like this, the back cross four. When you're talking about back crossing, you know, you take parent A, parent B, and you make the first generation of, quote, children, the F1 generation, breeding further from there with those, just those children would make an F2. But instead, taking one of that F1 generation and breeding it back to a parent, specifically a parent that shares the trait that you're looking to lock down. Exactly. That's the back cross. I was going to say that. And then you do that four times. You can go through the F1, and if you don't pick a seedling that is like a male that is 90% or closer to the original mom, 
then you're not actually making a bad promise. Right. Do you say that based on everything? You're looking for a male that smells the same, for instance? Smells, looks, grows the same. It has to be identical, basically. Wow. And they they show up. Like, I have a Gorilla Butter Breath, male and female, which is out of of, uh, F1 polyhybrid line. And the male and the female, you can tell they're identical phenotypes. Like, the leaf, everything looks the same. Exactly. It's like a kid that looks like the mom. You know what I mean? Yep. That's... 100%. 100%. And then you do that four times in a row and you've got the BX4. Yes. It's five crosses technically from the original strain. So the F1 and then the then four more times from right. there. So five total crosses. Wow. Which is still faster than doing some crazy IBL where you take it to like F12 and then cross it out or whatever, where you're well, doing there's actually there's actually a trick that I was taught by an orchid breeder. And that trick is if you get to, let's say, a BX2 or a BX3 or even a BX, as long as the original F1 selection was up to par for the similarities, you can actually take, let's say, a, let's just say a Runs BX3. If you took Runs BX3 and Runs BX3, male, female, you cross it together, you have now just made it in cross line. Oh. And by doing so, by doing so, you're basically jumping generations forward, which is by way of, I could be wrong in this term, but I believe it's a parallel breeding program. That makes sense. It's almost like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Exponential with the, with the inbreeding, you did all the back crossing and then you inbreed once. Yes. And so that is kind of like the mentality that we've had here at Egoic Genetics. I don't believe it's done by other cannabis breeders. I don't believe many people talk about it, Wow. but I mean, this is just kind of the, where we're coming from. We're trying to not copy and follow what other people do. We're like, we're going to blaze a new trail. We're going to do what we want to do, meaning we're only breeding strains we like to grow and smoke, period. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? That's it. And so, like, we don't do things because, oh, like, I don't grow runs because people think runs is popular. I grow runs because that shit's fire. But then sugar tips is so much exponentially better than runs. That I don't even want to grow runs <laughs> in my grow room anymore because sugar taste is just that much better. That means that you've accomplished that's only that, off right? of a B. That's only off of a BX too. Okay, well, hold you on. See what I mean? I'm going to ask you a super hard question. Then I, I, I don't, I don't want to hear about the top five strains yet. I want to hear about your favorite strain. You can only pick one. In fact, it's not even your favorite, but you have to give it to, I don't know, God Himself. Like you, <laughs> you have to pick one strain to submit to the Lord. Uh, what are you picking? Frankenberries. So it's nothing that I bred. That would be a strain from the 90s that I acquired from Holman. I still have seeds of it. It's a THCD dominant strain. That would be the one. I what? Are you going like, to pop these seeds? Yeah, I'm going to grow these this year. We've done some work with it in the past like two years, but nothing really major. I'm going to try and get, I'm trying to basically get a male and a female from this and get it to people that want THCP rich dominant like cannabis. That is wild, man. That's going to be super medicinal. Frankenberries. All right. Tell us about it. What, what blew you away uh, as far as the, the flavor and the aroma and that sort of thing? To me, what blew me away was it was so had such a cereal taste to it, but such like a, almost like tiny kush. It, it was like the flavor was out of this world, but what was even more crazy was the actual effects because it would have you like mildly hallucinating where you could be seeing colors and whatnot. Man, I like that psychedelic. 
yeah, it took away all your hunger too, gave you a lot of energy. So it was like, but it was like a calming energy. It wasn't like a sativa burst of energy. It was THCV is a trick. That's all I can say. It's it's needed in more cannabis strains to this day. Like Ooh. there's not enough of them. The Frankenberries. That was a quick answer too. I like that. I like that. Well, you said God himself. You're like, ooh, like I have some strains that I would want to give to God, but like <laughs> the Frankenberries is that strain that I still think back to about like looking at my now wife, but she's my girlfriend at the time. And we're both like, we just smoked it with my dad and we're, we're driving into Anahola and we both look at each other and are like, are you tripping? And we <laughs> both simultaneously like say, yeah. And then instead of like jinx or anything like that, it's back to like looking at nature and just like, wow, it's like we took mushrooms or something really like psychedelic, but we didn't. Man, I love that psychedelic weed. I've had some strains like that. That sounds absolutely incredible. Yeah. So that would be the favorite as far as like rareness. You know, that's a crazy strain. The Frankenberries. Keep an eye out, everybody. Just uh, we haven't said it yet. 808genetics.com. I'll put it at the top of the show. Uh, 808genetics.com. Uh, this is actually where I'm looking at the top five strains of 2022. This article here. Uh, yeah. It looks like a, a couple of these include your burger cross, man. That burger is something special. And that came out of the GMO, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. So originally, um, shout out to Skunk Master Flex for creating the Donnie Burger, which we use to create our GMO lines. Also, shout out to Mamako Seeds, who originally bred the GMO. So basically, our burger work started from Donnie Burger, which was GMO to GMO to Larry F8 by Stunt Master Flex. Ooh. And he's a cool dude. He's got good work. If you haven't given his work a try, I would definitely recommend giving it a try. But yeah, so we took that Donnie Burger, we hit it back to the original GMO Shout out to Maddie B Stackers for lacing me with the original GMO right out of Michigan. Ooh. Yeah, you know, we basically selected a Chem D variegated Fino out of the Donnie Burger seeds because I popped, I bought, I bought 10 packs of the Donnie Burger. I popped, no, I bought, I bought 20 packs of the Donnie Burger. I'm sorry. I bought oh. 20 packs of the Donnie Burger. I popped 10 packs of it. And then from there, I narrowed it down to that Chem D variegated male. So, you know, the Crippies variegated as well. Interesting. From there, from there, we made the Dur Burger, which has won some awards in Washington, I believe. That's the GMO BX2. The fire shit came out of there. The doo butt came out of that. A whole bunch of fire came from there. And then we eventually took that to a GMO BX3, which was a limited drop. Just because Skunk Master Flex kind of let me know, like, hey, GMO is kind of my lane. Let me do my thing. So we just did a small drop of the GMO BX3. And then um, from there, I didn't really see him doing too much burger stuff. So we teed up the GMO BX4, which was the OMG burger. And we wanted to do it really big. So we did a grassroots collab hat with our original burger art. Those are still available. We have a few left. I believe grassroots are already sold out as one of their best sellers, but we made the OMG burger, which was the number two strain of the year for 2022, but not a surprise at all. You know, the only reason it didn't get number one is because number one was real cookies and you'll hear your burner say, Oh, he's going to bring back cherry pie. Oh, he's going to bring back girl scout. We already did that. We've been doing that. Like we have a cherry pie BX4 right now. People can get, we got a animal cookie BX seven right mm. now. People can grab that. 
it's locked down. You know what I mean? Like those terps aren't going anywhere. I love that animal cookies, man. I smoked some animal cookies out in Humboldt in the 2017 somethings, the 20 teen somethings. And it was just so good. That like, fire, right? It doesn't get better than that. I would love to grow some of those yeah. back crosses. Yeah, no, like we got the real cookies right now. It's available and we're actually dropping a cookie monster hat to commemorate the work that we put in, which will also be a grassroots collab. The design's all done up. Nice. We're just, those are supposed to touch down on Monday, but Fuck all yeah. of our merch is limited. So it's like, I believe if you guys want grassroots, we'll have some on their site. We'll have some on our site collector's items man and we got strains to um go with it as well but the uh the omg burger what can you tell us about that taste and how that differs from like the doo-doo butt which is the doo-doo butt is stinky and foul which are my favorite types of turp is this more appealing no this will be more of that doo-doo butt stank ass <laughs> okay cool so it's like a rotten burger yeah dude this is like if you want to have a bag to offend your homie or someone, this is the bag. I love that. Because like, if you're going to bring anything that's a GMO dominant cross to the table, it's got to be foul. It's got to be rancid. It's got to be those not friendly turps. Because like, don't get me wrong. I love sweet turps. I love candy turps, right? But there's something medicinal about the GMO stinkiness yes. that just, it's special. Uh, medicinal and, and and I think potent. It, it fucking hits you really well, hard, exactly. those foul strains. Yes, they do. And it's because I forget the specific term, but that foul smell has something to do with, um, it helps with like anti-inflammation property type stuff. Everybody talks about how like the skunk terps are gone. Skunk terps aren't actually like a terpene at all. It's a feel. Right, right. Uh, like a vile, volatile sulfur style. Yeah, yeah. It's highly volatile. So like people that follow the modern day VPD charts that humidify that dehumidifier in your room is going to suck out those turps before they can even form. That's what I heard a lot is is the environmental factors as well. It's probably an amalgam of things. What's the skunkiest thing that you still have available right now? We might still have a little bit of our secret roadkill skunk line that we've been working. I would have to take a look. Are you happy with how that came out? Was that did that come out just the way you wanted? It's definitely all the skunk and funk you could ever ask for. <laughs> there you go. It's not friendly though. Like people will probably be somewhat allergic to that strain for real. Like on the real, like that's why people are like, oh, skunk is gone. It's like, well, no, people still kind of have it in diluted form. Some people still have it in pure form, but to get it to properly express, it's first off the environmental. And then on top of that, like it's so, I don't even know what, what word to use other than noxious that like, it's just gross almost, you know, like. <laughs> It, it's going to make you like your stomach's going to turn. You're probably going to have like a hive type skin reaction to just the plant itself. And then the terpenes can cause severe allergies for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, uh, Mrs. River has the hash rash. She gets the hash rash whenever she would trim or defoliate or anything like that back in the day. Hash rash, 100%. Strong. It means it's strong. You got some good fucking plant compounds going on in there. I heard it Good just shit. Gave, I heard that usually the people that are the strains that people are allergic to or have not so much like high sativa expression, but just sativa traits are poking through basically. Ooh, interesting. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that's what I've been told. 
Yeah, man. Well, I'm I'm stoked to see what you guys do in 2023. Um, I, for one, look forward to that. Uh, we didn't talk too much about the Cherry Bang Bang. You talked about the Cherry Pie, the work you did with that, and then you crossed it to Runts. That's that's pretty dope. That sounds great. I love Cherry Terps. Yeah, the Cherry Bang Bang, ironically, it was named in one of our lives. And then, of course, you know how the Instagram platform works where you have groups of haters that report your shit and so on and so forth. I guess, basically, Exotic Genetic Mike made a cherry bang bang oh. after we dropped ours we already had the nft art for but it prior. Can, can i just say you got to tell me what you think about this because back in the day when not everybody was breeding and there weren't so many great big time breeders let alone home breeders like are we not going to run out of words do we have to we're definitely going to run out of words we're going to run like- out of words it's okay to be like exotic genetics, cherry bang bang. <laughs> That's what I believe. 808 genetics, cherry bang bang. There's like three I tried or four to like pies. let him know that we already released it and he just didn't care. It's all to me, it's like this. It's all good, but I will say my account got reported and deleted like very shortly after that. Some so, so, standard some issue. And that was like first account. That was like first or second account of the year. And then when we went up against Capulator in the Battle of the Beans, almost took him out. In the quarterfinals, we took out a lot of big names this year. I saw that, um, dude. My account got reported again. What? And you're just like, yeah, dude. That is so whack. So it's we probably have another just, account, but yeah, it's just crazy. like, we got the Discord, we got the Twitch, we got we got platforms people can reach out to us. You guys at. are up on Twitch? Email. I was thinking about playing around with Twitch. They seem pretty cannabis friendly. Yeah, Twitch seems to be cool. Like, I actually um, put this, I got a camera of me talking live right here so it's recorded so um it's just my point of view we're on twitch right now my god my god i don't think they can hear you though (laughs) hey what's up i I don't know if i'm that savvy (laughs) try try talk hey yo what's up twitch good to see you i'll be fucking on there playing poker so can i swear should i not swear on twitch sorry yeah you can swear okay cool we're marked as yeah, you should get you should get on there, dude. Because I was looking, I was listening to your guys' work. You do a bunch of dope interviews. It'd be awesome to see you guys on the Twitch. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate. It. Where can people find you while while we're on the subject? What is your Twitch, and where can people find you? Twitch.tv forward slash Super Hawaii is the Twitch. The new Instagram is what is it? Eight oh eight Super Kauai. and then the wife, of course, real dot miss dot Super. She's still on the original account. And make sure you guys check out our link tree that has all our active links for the Discord and any of the cool stuff we're doing. Hell yeah. Those Discords are where it's at because they won't, they'll take your Instagram and all that bullshit, but you can always fall back to the Discord. So make sure to give 808 a follow on the new account, on the Discord, the website, all that good stuff. Uh, But we're not done quite yet. I want to know what your plans are, man. What you're trying to accomplish here. You've got so many great strains in 2022. Are you going to try to put out just as many? Are you going to focus more on the back crosses, new polyhybrids? What's what's the game plan? So when we go into the year, we typically have like goals set. So like for 2023, we're trying to get a crippy menu out to the market because every crippy cross we've ever released, every crippy menu we've ever released is sold out. So no matter how much we've produced, it's never been enough. So we're, we're trying to do it bigger and better this round than ever before. So green portal menu is what it's going to be called. Look for it around 420. That's when it's looking to drop. We'll also be working on a cherry pie BX five. <laughs> we'll be working on, we'll be working on the runs BX four. 
we'll be working on a Sunset Sherbert BX3. But I think the things I'm most excited for, because we've kind of already cemented what those are and where they're going. We got the peanut butter breath back cross two coming up. I'm really excited about that. Love me some peanut butter breath. Oh, yeah. The way we did the outcross with it, with the strawberry runs in there from Brad over at Raw Genetics. Shout out to Brad for that collab we did. You know, it's not going to disappoint. It's going to be a once you, if you like peanut butter breath, once you try peanut butter breath, well, we called it the original one was peanut butter jelly breath. Once you try that or any of its prodigy, you already know, like, that's what you want. We yes. will also be busting the Kauai electric back cross menu. So people looking for that old school, skunky, funky, like Kauai electric back cross menu coming, not a specific date set on that. There will be a lemonade back cross menu coming. So people who like lemon tree, um, the lemonade that's coming up really heavy lemon terps. It's not like uh Jack or any of that stuff though. It's like lemon candy. Ooh, I like that. And then we are we are planning a Cushman's back cross menu as well. And that Cushman's back cross menu is very special because the original F1 of the Cushman's had an outcross to a cherry pie BX2. So it just made the Cushman's just that much more delicious in depth and flavor. You know, we might have to do a, a repeat appearance. I just love talking strains. But before we wrap this up, I would like to talk to you about that peanut butter breath work. The peanut butter jelly time that's coming up, all the back crossing. Yep. Are you trying to isolate the peanut butter terps themselves? So basically, yes, I really like the peanut butter terps, uh -huh. but I feel like my take on what I'm trying to bring is like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, essentially. So like an uncrustable. Yes, an uncrustable. Good call. Well, it's got like cushy dankness to it, yes. like gassy vibes as well. But like the strawberry runs really made that like it infuse that strawberry flavor into the peanut butter breath so it's like when you smoke it it doesn't just go oh that's a danky peanut butter taste it transitions on your palate which to a longtime smoker is very impressive because back in the day you usually found a good strain and it was a single taste right you like the multi-dimensional strains i like being able to like it tastes like this but then whoa it transitioned to that Oh my God. So peanut butter and you jelly. You know what I mean? That sounds Yeah. So man. like the peanut butter jelly breath, it, it hit that mark. And we already have the peanut butter breath back cross, which we've done our looking through. We know what we're, we know exactly how to lock down the peanut butter terps on the like heavy, because we know what the leaf looks like. We know the structure. We know the plant thoroughly. We've been really researching this thing because it's been a while since peanut, I would say this peanut butter breath and Runts are two of the newer strains that really like, I didn't think I was going to like them that much. And then they proved themselves to me. And then I was like, all right, you know, cause like Mac one didn't do it for me. Purple punch didn't do it for me. Oreos didn't do it for me. Oh, like and I don't runts care did. how pretty a plant Ooh, is. No, runts did dude. Runts was like, people talk shit on runts. And I'm like, dude, listen, there's only one guy in all of Southern California or even California that I know of that has real runts. Everybody else got bag seeds off of it. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, listen, like everybody may not know the story, but Runtz was originally just bootleg gelato that was white labeled. Then when it got a lot of popularity, they had to actually breed it into a strain. Cause if not, you can't just like breed with some gelato and be like, no, it's not a gelato cross. You know what I mean? Like they had to actually make runs. And then turns out the big bearded dude, I don't want to drop his Instagram, 
that bred runs. He's not even a popular, well-known breeder. He's the one that went out there and made it. Off of a, off of a gelato cross? What it says on the internet is that like the gelato 33 to Skittles, he made, uh, that's what he made. Uh, I see. Yeah, but like he, he basically gave it to Sean Cron, and then my homie got it from Sean Cron, and then I got it off of like the homie owed a debt and needed money and like package bundle, like enough said kind of deal. <laughs> You're like, all right, mm. this runs is legit. Let's see. You know what I mean? Because the guy that I got it from don't ever talk shit. If he says it's good, it's like, okay, let's see. I'm excited to see what comes off of that, man. I love it. I love it. So the hype strains usually don't do it for you. But this one checked all the boxes, so you'll be working it further. Well, I mean, I'm my my benchmarks are pretty high. Like I'm looking at like purple oracle and cherry pie is like kind of the king of oh, the purple. I like both world. of those, man. You know what I mean? And then yeah. I'm looking at like let's say like Girl Scout cookie, forearm cut, or animal cut trace back. People shit on. Source. I see. I like Girl Scout cookie. People shit on Girl Scout cookies. I like Oreos. People shit on Oreos. Purple Punch did not do it for me personally. Oreos is all right. It's got potency. It's just the flavor isn't the greatest. It seems a, it can be a little muted, um, especially depending on uh, how it's grown. I think it's just the way Girl Scout cookie is in general is if you don't grow it right, like if your batch don't hit the number, like hit everything, the flavor on it will just kind of not be there. I think so. And that goes along with being kind of finicky. It takes a little bit of a grower maybe not a first time growers type of strain. I found Girl Scout to be kind of easy to grow compared to like, let's say like some ghost OG or some Crippy or there's yeah, a lot OGs. harder stuff to grow. Yeah. yeah there's a lot OGs harder stuff finicky. to grow. I will agree with that. Yeah. But the Girl Scout, I found it not too hard to grow, but it, it's more of like, if your room ain't right, the herbs just won't pop. Right. Right. I could definitely so see really that. A humidity, it's really a humidity deal typically. You did mention you liked the Purple Urkel. Huge fan of the Purple Urkel myself. Yeah, purple. So for me, Purple Urkel is kind of like the pinnacle of perf. Like I like GDP, you know, but I'm going to put Purple Urkel above GDP. I'm going to put Cherry Pie right below Purple Urkel. Those are kind of like I like that, dude. I like that. That's cool. We're, we're good friends with Mad Farmer. And I, I've been smoking Purple Urkel for a while, not knowing and just really enjoy it. So it's cool you're working with that. Well, it's such a calming. It's such a deep flavor. It just lingers on the palate. Like you can smell it when you go in the room, dude. Like somebody smoking that shit, you know they were smoking it. Right. You're like you were smoking Urkel. <laughs> like you can just smell it. Don't lie to me. You were smoking that's, Urkel. That's a, that's a special strain right there. There's only like purple Urkel, cherry pie, lemonade. Those are the only ones I can think of off the top of my head right now that do that. Walk in the room and you instantly know. You know they what they were smoking. You're like, you smoked that. Like with dabs, you can tell, but that's not the same as like somebody smokes a joint or, yes. a, or a bongy or whatever. I totally agree, man. I had a Molokai citrus kush that was kind of like that. You could smell that it had been smoked in the room before you entered it. <laughs> yep. No, but that's how you know it's terpy. You know, that's just like when people say, oh, I got a terpy plant. It's like, well, if it's terpy, it's going to be like you watered that plant or you brushed against it. And it's like screaming terps in your face. Like, wow. Totally. Totally, man. Those volatile terps stink up the whole room because of a bag in your pocket type terps yes i, like I mean that's that. what makes the plant special you know is like everybody's about like you know instagram bag appeal and like how it looks in the photo for the internet let's say and it's like the reality is if the terps aren't there the medicinal value is not there and there's a lot of very photogenic strain these days but i feel like in today's day and age 
if a strain isn't like, let's just say 3% terpenes, they really shouldn't be continued being bred with. Needs those terps, that loudness, or you're not even interested. It's just in today's day and age, we're not dealing with, you know, back in the fully illegal days, like, yeah, stuff's still kind of weird in certain states and not fully all the way legal, but the special strains are the ones that have the high terpene values. And a lot of these strains these days are combinations of each other, which is cool. But like, it also is important to keep things separate at the same time. Right. You know, that's why we line breed. That's why like we have the cherry pie line, the Howley girl line, the crippy line, the we're working on a lemonade line. We already got a Sherb line. You know what I mean? We're working on just trying to get those lines locked down the GMO line, the cookies line. Cause like, even though GMO is related to Girl Scout on paper, right? The Terps do not seem related. Nope. You know what I mean? Like, very, very little crossover. I feel like it's our, like, right now is the only time that people are going to be able to really, like, make a difference in the genetics going forward in the future. Because with legalization, you have everybody doing it. With everybody doing it, you have all these autoflower variants coming out. You have all of these feminized crosses being crossed to more feminized crosses. And I feel like you're just going to end up with a whole diluted gene pool. So, you know, it's, it's important that, you know, if I just inspire one person that's listening to this, if you got something unique, try to preserve it, try to share it with some people. I love that message, man. Yeah. All about the, because it's important, dude, it's important because it's like somebody might have something out there that's like life-saving medicine for somebody. And not even know it just because they're, they've never had it lab tested. It's just like, oh, this is whatever this local strain is that nobody really knows about. But some of those are some of the most special strains. I love that message, man. Like all about the Terps, all about the medicine and all about getting into the hands of the patients, like getting these seeds out there, working these lines with intention, but then getting the seeds out there, man. That's that's really cool. And you've done foundational work for uh, breeders like Rhizo Rich and many other breeders. That's got to feel great. You got people making their own line to make their own medicine. Yeah, it's, it's awesome when we see people, and we always encourage them breed with our gear. That's why we release traditional seeds. Because I would rather at the end of the day somebody be breeding with some authentic, real deal shit than some trash. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, I can't that's tell you cool, how man. many breeders do it but i know a lot of people from what i've been told get white labeled shit and just say it's this or that and it's all coming from the same cali farmers right i have heard accusations like that too well people have i'm not gonna say names but we've had people reach out to us all the time and be like you don't want like seeds at 33 cents a seed and shit and we're like no dude we do our own work and like we're building our brand and our name is our brand so it's like if i say it's this like i did all the work and i know exactly what i'm standing behind. Right. Right. You know what I mean? And a lot of people, I don't know what their morals are, but like, I like knowing that like, if people want Sunset Sherbert to a Cherry by Pie BX3, I got it. You know what I mean? Because it's like, there's things that should just exist and people didn't do it. So it's like, that's why 808 genetics became a thing. You know what I mean? Because like, you're talking to people like do this or do that. And they're over there in a position to do it, but don't do shit. You know what I mean? Like I was friends with Jai from Cookie Fam. And me and him were going to be partners before I ever partnered up with the Purple Punch dude or any of those other people. But it just didn't end up working out because the way that he did a deal with DNA genetics, me and him couldn't come to an agreement on a price after that for what his genetics were worth. It seems like you just um, 
kind of ended up staying in your own lane and maybe, maybe you did sacrifice some growth, but you kept, uh, you know, you kept your values. Yeah. I was trying to bring people on board. And then at the end of the day, it was just like, I love the plant and it's not about like having it the biggest brand. It's about doing it in a way that you're passionate about what you're, you're, you're passionate about the product that you're pushing because you know, it's that big. No, we can see that, man. We can see that you have your own goal. And that's what people like, right? When you're a breeder, you're making the selections and you're using, at the end of the day, you're using your palate, your beliefs, and uh, you're following your nose. And that's what people like. They're like, okay, this guy's doing something. He He's working towards a, a goal or a purpose or some sort of meaning. So we respect what AOA is doing out there, man. Uh, really, you guys have been doing some awesome stuff. And uh, we're not just saying that because we've, we've grown some of your stuff and we really like it. Uh, I just like to see it. Appreciate it. You're, pr- you're proud of your shit, obviously. Like I see you posting, you know, challenging people to grow offs and stuff. Clearly, you believe you we've believe had in strains. Like for example, Sherbin Runts got national acclaim this year at the grow off competition, and you had exotic genetic mites. Same type of cross. It was a sunset sherbet to Runts cross built his way, grown in the same facility that our our stuff was grown at. Our stuff got entered because it was the highest cannabinoid and the highest terpene in the facility. They ended up sharing that cut. Shout out to Bangladesh. And the main boys ended up taking it home 2022. They had the highest cannabinoids and the highest terpenes. And they broke all previous records with the Sherbin Runs, which is a Sunset Sherbert to Runs BX2, which is sold out, obviously. But there is a um, Sunset Sherbert to... No, I'm sorry. The Sunset Sher- the Sherbin runs the Sunset Sherbert runs backcross. We currently have available Sunset Sherbert runs BX2. It's essentially the same thing with just a double down dose of the runs. And and that's at 808genetics.com, right? Anybody who wants to order, that's where they go. Yeah, that's where they go. 808 the numerals 808genetics.com. JB, this has been awesome, man. Really. I do I do appreciate you taking the time and and telling these stories. The stories of you being a second generation farmer, all the the breeding philosophy that goes into your work. This has been a pleasure, man. Um, so I just want to say thank you, and you're welcome back anytime on Growcast. Thank you, man. You have a great day. Appreciate you taking the time to have us on here. It's great talking with you. Awesome. Appreciate you, and I appreciate you, listeners. Thank you so much. We will see you on the next Growcast. You can find us at growcastpodcast.com. That's all for now. This is JB, and yours truly signing off saying be safe and grow smarter. That's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you to 808JB. An incredible episode. As always, you can see everything we do at growcastpodcast.com slash action. All the memberships and the seeds and the classes. And before we wrap it up, shout out to the great partners of this show, The Foop, everyone. You know I love The Foop. They have their organic certified nutrient line, but they also have a whole host of cloning gear. That's right, their clone gel and their mist is what I love. Spring is right around the corner and it's time to start thinking about that propagation. You can find their clone gel and their mist at thefoop.com slash cloning. Everything you need to get that perfect 100% success rate, praying plants, inoculated with that biology. I love taking clones and Foop clone gel is what I use. It's a good way to get the boost on that microbiology early. They've got all sorts of goodies in there, some zombie spores that'll take care of pest problems. I always see beautiful blooms on my clone trays. Your clones won't yellow because you got that Foop mist. Spray it on there, get your clones and your plants what they need. 
It's the perfect pair. And if you're popping seeds, I'm going to give you an awesome hack right now on how to use Foop. You can take that Foop mist, and when you're going to go and germinate those seeds in that paper towel, just hit it with a little bit of spray right there on that mist. Not too much, just a little spray or two. That's what you want because that'll give your plant the bacteria and the fungal exposure that it needs to start off right and burst forth out of that seed shell, grow healthily. So you can go to thefoop.com slash cloning to check out all their cloning products as well as their mist, their mist refill, and their propagation pack, or find the whole line with the nutrients at thefoop.com. Always use code GROWCAST. We sure love the Foop. Shout out to Larry and the whole team over there at the Foop. Okay, everyone, we've got some great episodes in the works for you. Stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. You know I'll be back here to give you some more good grow information, grow history, and maybe a little bit of entertainment and a laugh here or there. So go do amazing things in your garden. Love all you listeners out there. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Jonesy wasn't so open to like explaining what he was using to make his stuff.